talk of the of those marvelous truths of the gospel, the kingdom, the uh, the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, and and the Bible. You know, so much we could we could go, so many teachings, so many words that we could we could use, uh, and we could. But uh, I'm going back to uh, to uh, beginning, uh, continue where I left off, to, where I left off yesterday, and uh, I don't want to overwhelm you uh, with uh, with a word or with uh, with teaching. Neither do we want to make it so it's it's. Uh, oh yeah, we know that already. That's that's all. That's all. Um, that's old hat. That's stuff we've heard for twenty, thirty, even some of us forty years. As Brother Jake said, you know, from a child who has known the Holy Scriptures that is able to make thee wise unto salvation. But uh, in my message yesterday, we, uh, I, it was the question, where is your heart, O pilgrim? And trying to make us turn the pages of the Bible, turn the Word of God inward, look inward, Focus inward, not outward. Because the Bible never says, where is your neighbor's heart, O pilgrim? Where is your, where is your brother's heart? Where is uh, this, this uh, people's heart? It's where is your heart, O pilgrim? Um, on the one hand, some of the teachings, some of the things are... are uh, Basic, you know, it's foundational. It's it's not rudimentary, but it's it's close to to uh, the walk that we have with God. Is this, this this these messages on our heart here are not about church building? But I'll tell you one thing: you will not build a church, you will not build a people, you will not advance the kingdom of God unless you first work at the heart, because the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is within you. It's within us, and we will never grow ourselves, nor will we grow a relationship with people, nor will we build anything if we do not focus and deal with the human heart. For out of it, Jesus said, the, the Proverbs says, are the issues of life. Out of our hearts is where all the filth and the smut and the destruction and uh, everything else that ruins life comes from the human heart. And whether we're Christians or not, we realize this is an area we need a lot of teaching on and a lot of discipleship on. Because children of God, we don't, God doesn't snap his finger and we are suddenly saints that are unmoved, untouched. We are full of goodness and compassion and love and sweetness and the love of Christ and, and victorious over sin, victorious over uh, and free from bondages. The, the vast majority of Christian teaching is to try and get the saint to walk and align himself with the plan of God. If it was just getting saved and Jesus only, by the way those songs, they were amazing. If it was just saved, Jesus only and trust him, trust him then the Bible would need to be maybe 14 pages thick. That's it. 
We won't need 1,500 pages of Bible. We won't need the four Gospels. We won't need all of Paul's teaching. They're out. They are there for our learning. And boy, are we not glad they're there. There are so many blind alleys that I would have walked had it not been for the anchor of the Word of God in my life. And so my, my job is to align myself with God's word, and your job is to align yourselves with the word of God. And so today, uh, I'm not just preaching to, uh, for you, everybody, to say amen to a good message. That's not... We've, many of us have said amen to a good message, hundreds of times, thousands of times maybe. But we walk out the door... And life takes over. And five years go by, ten years go by. And we're still going around the mountain. Still struggling with the same sins. Still struggling with the same unbelief. Still in the same uh, uh, abyss of, of, uh, of depression or whatever life throws at us. Still in the same relational headbutting with other Christians or with family or with co-workers or with Still, in, still those same issues. 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And so the title of the message is, If the Son shall make you free, then shall you be free indeed. If the Son shall make you free. Yesterday it was, where is your heart? Today, if the Son shall make you free. Turn with me to John chapter 8, verses 31. John chapter 8, verses 31, starting at verse 31. Here is our Savior again with the timeless truths. Then said Jesus unto those Jews which believed on him. That is a key verse. He did not speak to people who did not believe on him. He spoke with people who were following him, who believed it. And for a Jew to believe in Jesus Christ is a huge thing. It's like, a, it's like an old Orthodox Anabaptist, Hutterite, Mennonite, Amish person believing in Jesus Christ. It's, it was earth-shattering for them to believe in Jesus Christ because they knew they had their religion. They had their faith. They had their, down, their doctrines down pat, and they had their pathway into the kingdom of God, and they, and they were following that. Jesus comes along and brings a revolution, and he was speaking to those Jews here. They said... They, and then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. So do not consider this is for someone who isn't a believer yet. This, I am talking today and God's word is speaking to believers. Whether you've been a Christian for five days or 15, 25 years. Those Jews which believed on him. And he says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. If you continue... And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. They answered and said, suddenly, just like that, reacted. Jesus can get a reaction out of us, can't he? He got a reaction right there. And suddenly, here they were believing on him. They were following him. We are Anabaptists. No. We are Hutterites. We are Mennonites. We are Protestants. 
We've never in bondage to any man. What are you talking about? How sayest thou, we shall be made free? We left that dead religion. How, what are you talking about? They got a reaction out of him. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? And Jesus answered him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sin is a servant of sin. Whosoever committed sin is a servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now we live in a country today where we cherish freedom. In the last couple of years, some of those freedoms were taken away and it got a whole bunch of reactions out of all of you. You wanted to join the convoy. You wanted to go and arrest Trudeau and put him in, put him in, jail, in jail. Because what? He was taking away our freedoms. And I know what emotions you had. Because I know what, the most, what emotions the people around us had. So you're all the same. You're probably worse. I don't know. Maybe you were. Maybe you weren't. And we, because our freedoms were threatened. Our freedoms were being taken away. We squeezed out. We were used to living in Canada. Do what you want. When you want. As you want. However you want. Free to be my own man, free to live the way I want to live, free to pursue happiness as I see it. Independence, individualism, autonomy. That's Canada. And when those freedoms were threatened, we were ready to pick up guns. Some, and I heard Anabaptists say that. We were ready to pick up guns and defend those freedoms. Right? Is that the kind of freedom Jesus was talking of here? When the Son shall make you free. It is important. It is definitely important for the human spirit to have freedom. Freedom to worship. Freedom to be creative. Freedom to express themselves. Freedom to pursue happiness and live without fear of oppression and the fear of oppressive government. That is absolutely true. That is where the human spirit thrives. It is a great privilege we have, but... That's not the freedom that Jesus was talking about. How do I know? Because the freedoms we have in Canada and in North America have not produced disciples of Jesus. We look at the church of Jesus Christ in America and even the most liberal Protestant preachers are saying it's in dismal condition. What? Aren't we free? Aren't we free from all men? Haven't we got this freedom in Christ? No, that's not the freedom Jesus was talking of. In the West, in the Western church, this is a, these are statistics. There is more depression and anxiety and broken homes and families and lives and woundedness and unhappy hearts, corrupt youth and addictions than there is in Nigeria. Did you know that? In Nigeria, the people are happier than the Americans. That's not the freedom Jesus was talking about. The Jews also thought they were free. 
They had their religion down pat. They had their doctrines in order. And they had their pathway into heaven. We have Moses. We have the prophets. And we have our... We have what we need. And Jesus cleared them up. And he said... We have, you know, they said, we are not in bondage to any man. Jesus said, verily I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is a servant of sin. In 2 Peter 2, 19, it also says, of whom a man is brought into bondage. No, of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. The NIV says, a man is a slave to whatever masters him. I'll repeat that. A man is a slave to whatever masters him. And so we need to drill down what Jesus was talking about. For us Anabaptists, there's many sins we have down pat. We know what sins are absolutely unacceptable. We know what's bad. And we, um, and we generally, we can call them out and we can say what is, what is right and what is wrong. We don't need to go there. Because as I said yesterday, most of the sins we see humans committing are the fruit. They're not the root. What we want to do is we want to go to the root. Where is the root? And Jesus wants to deal with sin at the root, at our hearts, where a sin originates. Not picking off the leaves, not picking off the fruit of the tree, not mowing the quack grass. He wants to deal with the heart issues, the heart sins. And that is what he was looking for, for true freedom. That's a freedom that cannot be bought with money, won with warfare, or reached with fame. It is not found in sensual pleasure. It is not learned in college or universities. It is a freedom that transcends time, culture, race, religion, denominations, communism, and you name it, oppression. It's a freedom that you can't obtain by leaving a dead church. Please remember that. It's a freedom you don't have if you have your own bank account. It's, not a, it's a freedom you don't get by believing all the right things about the Bible. From my life experiences, the more people have their doctrines and everything lined up, the more pharisaical they become. Instead of the more godly and the more loving and, more, and the more humble and more broken. And we don't get this freedom by being under oppressive authority. And we have the tendency to think it's those outward pressures that are robbing me of freedom. We, are, we think it's, it's circumstances. We think it's oppressive. It's, you know, the, the religious bondage. There is a certain amount of bondage there. But true freedom that Jesus said is not any of that. In fact, it is absolutely nothing to do with external circumstances. And I'll prove this to you. Joseph was a young man. And he was dealt a vicious hand. He was a young man who had a clear conscience... He, he had character. He was taught by his dad to love God, fear God, and honor God. He was dealt a vicious hand by his brothers, sold as a piece of merchandise, 
and he was put under oppressive rule. And that's how he had to live under that, those circumstances. And did Joseph think he was, oh me, oh my, poor me, what a bad hand I got dealt, those bad guys. Did Joseph think that? Joseph took the circumstances, the lemons that he was dealt, and he made lemonade. Joseph came up under the bad circumstances, put his heart into whatever he was given. He was given a slave. Slaves were, and especially foreign slaves, they were treated like dogs. How in the world did Joseph come to prominence in Potiphar's house? If somebody thinks this, it just happened because he was Joseph and, Joseph and, and Jacob's son, we're badly mistaken. It did not. It happened because Joseph did not whine. He did not uh, feel sorry for himself. He, he came up under the load, showed his integrity and his honesty, and put his hand to the plow. And in no time, Joseph was over the house of Potiphar. God did not bless the house of Potiphar because Joseph swept things under the rug. No, because he was making the most of the opportunities that he was given. And then he was dealt another bad hand, and then he was dealt another bad hand, and then he was dealt another bad hand. And a total of 22 years passed by from the time he was sold into Egypt to the time he saw his dad again. And he went from the lowest piece of merchandise to second in command in Egypt. And it's because he was a man. And he did not blame others for the circumstances. And so that proves to us it doesn't matter where God puts us. It matters how we respond to the circumstances he puts us in. And Joseph is a name as a man that I revere greatly. I have such high respect for how that man stood up, whether it was Potiphar's wife in the prison or whatever. And so what did Jesus say when a son shall make you free? You shall be free indeed. Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. And many people say that easily. We say, we trust Jesus. But Matthew one twenty one says... He shall save, when, it, when the angel came to bring the good tidings of Jesus to Mary, he said, ah, he will save his people from their sins. That's the true freedom. He will save his people from their sins. Being saved from our sins is not just forgiven for our sins. Being forgiven is only half the story. We cannot walk freely on this earth until we are saved from our sins. You see, being forgiven of our past and reconciled to God is, is a wonderful thing. But if we are not saved from our sins, we live in a constant cycle of cycle. Sinning, repenting, uh, sinning and, and being uh, 
that repent, depression, repentance, and, and being forgiven again, and coming up, and going back down, and, and just like that. That is, uh, to me, that's, I learned a long time ago, that is a dismal way of living. When Jesus says he came to save us from our sins, he doesn't mean he's going to take us to heaven. The Bible clearly teaches that heaven is our inheritance. He came to save us from our sins so that we can walk with him down here. We need to feel more than just atoned for. It, being forgiven does very little to change our desires and give us power and victory. And so the second part of his redemptive work is Jesus coming and dealing with the root of sin rather than just always plucking away at the fruit. Christians trying to stop sinning on the outside is the most is the biggest exercise in futility that they can do. We cannot stop sinning on the outside. It is impossible. As I said yesterday, there is a volcano of filth churning in every human heart. And we must allow the king to transform what is in there. The, the, as, as I said in, in Mark 7, the filthy thoughts and all the stuff that comes from within. So when, when we want to live for God and, and build church and build people and advance God's kingdom, he has to, have, has to have room to work in here. And if we don't give him that room, if we don't allow him to get sin at the root, we end up just in a cycle of, of defeat and depression. Because he says here, uh, um, well, when it says, he shall save his people from their sins. And so you and I, and you and I, for our ability to live here on this earth with love, joy, and peace, it's directly dependent on how clear we are inside and how free our conscience is. It is directly dependent on that. How do we get there? You know, how does a human being come to that place where we have this, where we can live with love, joy, and peace? There's one thing sin does, brothers and sisters, it separates. Sin always separates. It separates us from the love of God, it separates us from the joy of God, and it separates us from the grace of God. And as God's people coming to the root of sin, that is where we want to zero in on. You know, what freedom was Jesus talking about? We mentioned most of some of it here. I want to look at, at, um, at uh, how we, as people, uh, put sin into many different categories. For instance, someone committing adultery, we go, whoa, that's so bad. Someone killing another person, that's so terrible. Someone uh, stealing from the company, that's such a terrible thing. And it just gives a reaction from us. But do you know the sins that Jesus got... Uh, had the biggest struggle with hypocrisy 
We can see he read chapter, a whole chapter on just hypocrisy. Is that a sin we often talk about? Is that a sin that gets us down on our faces before God and to cry out to forgive us and to change us? As a matter of fact, hypocrisy is a sin that Christians embrace. Because we like people to give, we like to give an image to people to see that we've got it all together. We've got it made, you know. We put on that Sunday morning beautiful image or whenever we meet people that, that front, that, that, that try to fool people, we've got it together. We are practicing the sin of hypocrisy. Jesus wants us to come as we are. Be real, be honest, and be open, as I spoke of yesterday. So we don't need to talk about the sins of the lost world. They're not an issue to us. They're a non-starter, the big, gross sins. Let's just leave them out. The other sins, of uh, there's the sins uh, the, that religious people commit, and then there's the heart conditions of the Christians. Those are the ones we want to focus on, and the idols of our hearts. First one is uh, unforgiveness and bitterness. That is a toxin that I'm sure you've heard of many times and you've talked of. And you've, we've, uh, we've, uh, we've heard how unforgiveness robs us of joy, peace, and happiness. Because another person in your life that hurt you at one time is controlling how many hours you sleep. Is controlling... Where you go, he's control, that person is controlling your, your thoughts, your emotions. It's controlling what you buy. It is controlling who you associate with. When you have unforgiveness in your heart. You are a slave to sin. You're a slave to unforgiveness. And we keep thinking... Drinking the poison, as that saying goes, and hoping the other guy falls over dead by it. It robs us of the peace, pollutes our minds, poisons our perception, and it robs us of every good thing in life. Christians should never live with unforgiveness. Brothers and sisters, Jesus made that very clear in Matthew 6, in Matthew 5. And in Luke 6, 35, he tells us, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, it's no use you and I singing, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. He said he would not forgive us our trespasses, whether we're Christians or not. That is a hard sin that has to be dealt with first and foremost. And don't think for one minute, others have hurt me. I got, I got the bad, I got bad treatment. Look at Joseph. And if we're really honest, we've hurt other people probably more than other people have hurt us. You know, we've done our share, haven't we? Jesus says, forgive. And if you need to forgive 50 times a day, you forgive 50 times a day. Clear your heart, because out of unforgiveness, spiral a whole bunch of other sins. The next one is unbelief. Unbelief is perhaps the worst, the second worst sin that Christians commit. 
One of the songs wrote said here, trusting Jesus, trusting in him. Jesus, I trust you. That sings easily. We say it easily. It comes easily out of our mouth. But when God puts us in a squeeze, when God puts us in a, in a, in a position where we have to trust him, we rely on our own defenses. We rely on our own escape routes. We bail out of difficult circumstances. We, we react towards authority. We react towards other people. We, we do all those things. From unbelief, unbelief was the chief reason God kept Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. Unbelief produced disobedience. Disobedience is the fruit. And disobedience are a whole bunch of sins, like a whole bunch of sins of rebellion. So unbelief is the root. Disobedience to God's word is the fruit. We don't believe God can handle my situation. Take Joseph. We don't believe God can can, uh, can change the circumstances I'm in. We don't believe God can change our spouse. We don't believe God can change our brother or sister or, or uh, he can change our children. We don't believe. We don't believe this is uh, what's happening to me is for our good. And the Bible clearly says if you're a child of God, all things work together for good. So we don't believe those things and react against them. You know, in, in Numbers 21, it says they journeyed from the Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. That's Numbers 21.4. To compass the land of Edom. The soul of the people as much was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? No bread, no water, no comfort. No, no freedom to do the things. And what does that produce? Unbelief not only produces disobedience. If you have in your heart depression, if there's anxiety and if there's fear in your lives, the root is unbelief. The root is unbelief. To try and cure anxiety and depression with antidepressants is a classic example of mowing quackgrass. You've got to deal with the root. Jesus came to deal with the root of sin in our hearts. And unbelief is the root of most of Israel's sins in the wilderness. They murmured. Unbelief will bring you murmuring. Unbelief brings us, you want to turn back to Egypt. Unbelief, you can have the cloud of fire, you can have the, the manna falling from heaven every day. That means absolutely nothing. Unbelief, you just see what you don't have. You see the mountains, you see the blockages, you see the bad things, and you can't, and you can't see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when you can't see God, the root is unbelief. That's a sin he wants to deliver us for. Fear is fear paralyzes the Christian. It makes us 
spiritual cowards. It makes us succumb to peer pressure. We become negative. We become critics. We become all those bad things. But all that is just the fruit. So the root is unbelief. And God is very grieved when we are mired in those things. Psalm 43, verse 5, he says to you and me, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. God doesn't want to be us, us to be sad and disillusioned and, and, uh, and fearful and depressed. He doesn't want us to be. Love, joy, and peace. Not in sin, but from sin. Jesus did not came to save us in sin. He came to save us from sin. And only then can we build churches. Only then can we build the kingdom of God on this earth. Because his kingdom is at work in us. There's two here that I have to put together. Because most men in this room will understand it. And there's, those two are so key. And the first one is lust. And the second one is pride. Those two are, I found out both in my life and in the lives of the people I've counseled. Lust and pride are somehow intertwined in men. But lust is a hard sin. But it's one sin where men, men you will understand. It's one sin that will put men on their face before God. It's a sin that will cause us to cry out from the floor. It is a sin that causes us men to not make excuses. By the way, if you're making excuses for lust, I feel sorry for you. Because God has stopped disciplining you. And when God has stopped disciplining us for lust in our hearts, we're in big trouble. It shows God has decided you go your own way. And when you're done in the, in the pig pen and you're finished with eating the... the what is that? In the, what, is that what did he eat? The husks? You'll come back to me and then I'll meet you. He just lets us go there. Never justify lust. But there's one, this is one area that will bring a man on his face before God. It is one area that will humble a man. It is one area that, that, that God has somehow... Uh, uh, he doesn't let men... He doesn't cut it off from us like other addictions. He allows men because that is an area that God uses to break us and shape us and, 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 and turn and mold us into the image of, your son, of his son. Lust never remains lust. It always ends up in sin on the outside. Marriages, families, friends, homes, businesses, careers have been destroyed. Churches have been destroyed by lust. And anybody who commits adultery, anybody who... who uh, it, has, it has hit pastors like you won't believe. And just ruin their testimony, ruin their preaching, ruin their, their ministry. It was never dealt with at the root. You never commit adultery on the surface. You never, no one ever commits fornication on the surface without it being stewing and growing and taking root in the heart for months and months and years inside. And when it comes on the surface, I'm sorry, that's the fruit. You've got to deal with at the root. And so that's why I want to put pride together with it. 
Because lust is one area where God can get our attention. Most men will never downplay it. But we sometimes even celebrate pride, arrogance, and haughtiness, and macho male. And I've seen it. It's even celebrated among men. God made men to be protectors, defenders of our children, of our wives, and of our churches. That's in us, and it's supposed to be there. But human pride is one of the big hindrances of allowing God to work through us to accomplish those things. And so we and our pride gets in the way. And pride is a hard sin that gives rise to almost every other sin, including lust in the human heart. Pride, and pride is such a root uh, that in our, in our discipleship uh, uh, studies, we, uh, I have 15 fruits of pride. Where the one heart sin is pride. But it shows itself, it demonstrates itself, it rears its ugly head in 15 different areas. We can't possibly cover all of them, but it's, but, um, what's his name there? This uh, one pastor from years ago. He said, so I've written it down. Pride is a worse sin by far than lust. By far. He said, lust is a flea bite in comparison to human pride. And we think, ah, come on, that's not that bad. You think about it. Only by pride comes contention. And what has been the biggest problem of God's people in the last 20 years for coming together and forming fellowship and unity and direction? What has been the biggest hindrance? It's pride. Because pride holds us. Pride gives rise to suspicion. Pride thinks we are better than someone else. Pride looks down our nose at those who don't worship like we do. Or talk like we do. Or have the same doctrines we have. Pride wants to control people. And people who've come out of a religious bondage system, they don't want to be controlled anymore. And so they react to anything that even has any semblance. And on the one hand, we don't blame. But pride keeps us from, ex- from experiencing the love of Christ in our brothers because only by pride comes contention. Are you someone who would like to control other people? That's pride. Are you jealous and competitive of other Christians? That's pride. Are you more holy because you do more things, more righteous activity? Maybe follow certain laws better? That's pride. Do you eye other Christians with suspicion, looking for faults and reasons to belittle them and look down and gossip about them? That's pride. Does the success of others keep you up at night? 
comes pride. Wounded pride. Can you rejoice when a, a person that you really don't like is successful? Or do you want to one-up it? Great American dream. Keep up with the Jones. Now, can we actually rejoice when a person that we are not in fellowship with is successful and flourishing? Pride chokes out the word like weeds. You know, in the parable of the four soils, Jesus said, the pride of life chokes out the seed and it becomes unfruitful. Pride is a heart sin. Unbelief is a heart sin. Lust is a heart sin. Unforgiveness is a heart sin. And when we deal with them, you don't have to deal with the fruit. And so often we are preoccupied with the fruit instead of looking where is the root. Where does this sin originate? It doesn't originate. It's there. And so God has to deal with us and humble us. And here's where I make the connection with pride and lust. Because God can't get our attention on pride in our hearts, he gets it through lust. Men, brethren, listen carefully. I say this with love because I know from my own heart this is where it's been. Because I refuse, because we refuse to humble ourselves over certain issues and certain people in certain circumstances, and we, you know, keep the, it keeps us up at night. It keeps us worked up and against people and against circumstances. God allows us to fall into lust, and that brings us to our face. But the problem with that is we seldom make the connection. God's trying to get our attention in another area. He used this one to shock us to reality. But he's after liberating us so that we can walk freely as sons of the king. So that we can walk freely as sons of God. I have yet to see Christians fall on their faces before God in repentant dust and ashes. For pride. But lust will thoroughly humiliate us. Pride is behind the religious spirit. 100%. 100%. The religious spirit is nothing but filthy, stinking pride. It looks down on people. It snubs people. It separates itself from people. It thinks it's better than other people. It has no problem wounding and judging and being critical of other people. That's the religious spirit. And, what, and we're not as free from it as we think we are. Just because we've left a religious system doesn't mean we can't get religious. Brothers and sisters, we can get just as religious as the most orthodox Jew. Just remember that. So how do we deal with those things? If the sun shall set us free. We're just going to go through this. How we deal with it. First of all. I said it yesterday. Identification. Ask God to search your heart for those four things. Those are the heart sins. That, Christ, that will keep Christians from experiencing. The love, joy and peace of Jesus. It will keep us from experiencing. A victorious life. 
It will keep us from experiencing fellowship with other believers, which is what we all want, which is what we're all after. And so identification as God, search me, O God, for what? For unforgiveness, for idolatry, hypocrisy, pride, fear, and unbelief. Those are the heart sins. They're the ones we need to give attention to. Don't sugarcoat your hearts. We should never sugarcoat our hearts. Accept it for what it is. This is what's holding us back from enjoying the love of Christ. Step two, it's almost like somebody getting saved. Because we have to get saved. We have to get saved from ourselves. Because Jesus said he will save us from our sins. So step two is confess and repent. It's that simple. Call it what it is. Repent of those hard sins because they are the root of most of the other sins that humans commit. And step three, change course. Tear down those idols. Release the people who, hold it, who, hold you, who wronged you. Release them. We're not that sanctimonious. We've wronged people too. We've hurt others just as much. Step four, believe and receive the incredible love of God. And that's where... Yesterday, that illustration of that chip, brothers and sisters, God, the love of God is out of this world. When we come to God honest, with a broken and a contrite heart, he has no choice. God binds himself to his word, and he has no choice but to forgive you and accept you and embrace you. God has bound himself with this word because he says, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. To this man will I look, the Bible says, he that is of a broken spirit and trembles at my word. God, the love of God is out of this world. We can have messed up again and again and again and again. When we turn, when we own up, take ownership of our sins, heart sins, not the fruit. Well, the fruit too, but the heart sins. Call them for what they are. Repent, turn. Jesus is there with open arms. That's an amazing God. You know what we would do? You know when one of our brothers sins against us? We put him on trial for about six years. And Jesus comes and just embraces us. And you might think, you know, when God reveals our heart to us, and God reveals the depth of our depravity, we, we, we tend to think we don't deserve this. When is the times you think, I don't deserve this? Do we have, are there times in our lives where this happens? I, I, Lord, I've disappointed you so many times. I've hurt you so often. I've gone my own way. I'm, I'm, I have a problem with heart lust. I have a problem with those things. God, I've just messed up so many times. I mean, do you actually still think I can come to you? Don't insult the love of Christ. Don't insult his grace. He that comes to me will I in no wise cast out. That is a promise. 
He that comes to me will I in no wise cast out. You can take God up at that. His love is amazing. His power is infinite. And he does not love like humans love. We remember the sins of our brothers. And it takes a while for us to get get over them. When we confess and repent, somehow God doesn't forgive, doesn't, somehow God forgets them. And it says, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Like I said yesterday, he deletes the track and it's not there anymore. He deletes it, it's gone. We might still feel it, feel it for many years, our sins. But for God, he treats us as if we had never sinned. That's the love of God. But what does he want? He wants you and I to come before him broken. He wants you and I to be real before him. Those are the sins. Those are the, and, and Christians, brothers and sisters, I'm not talking about the sins, the fruit. I'm talking about the root. That's where you will be helped. That's where I've been helped. That's why I can say with confidence today, there's no volcano churning in my heart. There is no, I don't have to keep a lid on bad attitudes. I don't have to keep, try to suppress bitter feelings against a brother or a sister. I don't have to try and put on a show in front of you. You ask my people at home if you want. I am who I am. Because I've learned You let God deal with the heart. Clean the inside of the cup. And the outside is clean also. And brothers and sisters, there is no better place to be than than that place. Then God can use my life and he can use your life. To be an impact and an influence to your children, to your brothers and sisters around you, and to even the people that you disagree with. Even the people that rub you the wrong way. Because anybody who rubs you the wrong way, by the way, is only trying to rub off some flesh off you. There's a rough spot there. That's why I got rubbed. If you've died and risen to Christ, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. God has dealt with it. And that is a beautiful place to be. And so in Galatians 5, 22 to 24, here's the fruits that come out of us. You know them, you've heard them. Love, joy, and peace. The fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, and peace. Gentleness, goodness. Meekness. When a child of God comes out of that, Self and over to Christ. We are, as Paul writes, attractive. Do we make the gospel attractive? Are people attracted to Christ because of our testimony? That's a question only you and God can answer. God bless you.